Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, author, coach, and speaker, Andy Grant. Please visit theandygrant.com to learn more about me. Real Men Feel reminds men that they are human beings and have the right to experience and express all of their emotions. It's not that there are some emotions for men and some for women. You as a human being have the right to experience the full range. We have conversations that most men aren't having, but that all men can benefit from. You know, according to the American Psychological Association, approximately 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. The divorce rate for second marriages is even higher with approximately 60 to 67% of second marriages ending in divorce as well. And according to a recent survey of financial professionals, the three leading causes of divorce are basic incompatibility, infidelity, and then money issues. My guest today is going to fix all that. <laughs> My guest is Sky Michaels. Sky is a dad, award-winning real estate leader, motivational speaker, and host of the 6AMers podcast, which provides inspiration and motivation for developing a healthy mindset, setting goals, and achieving happiness. As a divorced dad of two, Sky is passionate about promoting positive co-parenting and determined to show divorced couples that a better, healthier, and happier experience is possible when a positive co-parenting relationship is established. Welcome to Real Men Feel, Sky. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel flattered to be here. <laughs> When we first spoke, you you introduced in a way that I had never heard before. You said that you were very happily divorced. <laughs> I, I it is uh, it's a term that I, I think it shocks people when I use it because those two words typically are not used together, and I think it's a way to to counteract a lot of the shame and the guilt and the um, um, you know the hurt depends on on what what your role was in the divorce. But you go through different things. But the word divorce carries so much baggage, so much negativity and so much uh, pain, frankly, for all parties. And when you put the word happily in front of it, it reframes that into divorce just being a noun, right? A divorce is just a, thi a, 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 a thing, a noun, right? And the, the putting the word happily describes what that noun is. And we get to reframe that word in a way where we instantly, or I instantly try to convey, Hey, I am in a happy situation right now. Right. And by happy, I'm, I have a healthy children. I have a healthy ex-wife who I am friends with. I have a schedule that works for both of us. I have open lines of communication where if there's a change, we can communicate about it and, and all those great things that frankly make up a good marriage also make up a good divorce. And that's the irony of the whole situation. Yeah. So is it possible to have a bad marriage, but a good divorce? It's very possible. I think, I think, uh, you know, and once again, I'm sure my ex-wife is going to listen to this. So, you know, we, I wouldn't quantify our marriage as, as bad per se, in the sense of like, you know, we had challenges and lots of challenges like most married couples. Um, but it is very possible to have a bad marriage and a good divorce because sometimes the things that are wrong in a marriage can be solved in the divorce. And that, and what you do is you come back in order to be a happily divorced person. The first thing you have to do is you have to agree on your commonality. And for me and my ex-wife, our commonality, what were the things that were non-negotiables for both of us? It was our children, Mackenzie and Hudson. So when you start from a position of your, your non-negotiables, right? Your commonality. All right. Instead of us focusing on our differences, the things we don't agree on, right? I wake up early. She wakes up late. I uh, like this kind of food. She likes that kind of food. I say it's sunny out. She says it's cloudy out. <laughs> yeah, we could go on and on. Instead of us focusing on all those, instead, let's start from our common 
standpoint. And then from there, we can work on the more challenging things that we need to figure out as we move forward in this new life. Um, and, and it's funny, Andy, because I think you think of like someone getting engaged and then working towards a marriage, a divorce is almost the exact same process in reverse. You agree, you, you get to a point where maybe you don't agree, but you, you announce we are getting divorced. And then you work backwards on doing a lot of the things as opposed to, you know, you get engaged and you work forward, you know, creating the household, creating the common areas, and then you get married. The divorce is almost the polar opposite where you announce it. It's almost like you're unproposal, so to speak. And you slowly work your way towards that pathway where you no longer are a married couple. But when you have children, especially you still share a common love and, and a common goal, so to speak, of what you're you're striving for. Does being happily divorced now mean that the entire divorce process was, was smooth and joyous or not? No. <laughs> yeah, no. It, probably, once again, similar to like being engaged. Like, you know, most people that get engaged, there's a lot of stress involved in getting married. There's a lot of stress involved in getting divorced as well, you know. Um, and, and our process um, was not roses and you know, you know, all happy and the where we are today is not where we were um, when it first began, you know, and when it first begins, yeah, and every situation is different. I call it divorce a fingerprint, right? Everyone's situation that's listening to this, it's going to be a different situation for each person. And my hope is what you can do is you can pull, you know, almost picture an apple tree and you can pull one little apple off that's going to help you a little bit. Um, and that's really the, the goal. But our process was uh, definitely rocky in the beginning in the sense of there's a lot of I was the person that made the ultimate decision to leave. So I call me I'm called the lever and she was the one being left. Right. And so each of us played different roles in that. For me, I experienced a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and like, a, you know, you go through this process where you're 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 struggling because of the fact you're the one that's making that decision that you fear, a lot of fear, right? That, oh my God, I'm going to be the cause of demise of my family and my children are going to hate me or, you, you know, your mind runs. For my ex-wife, it's a lot of anger, right? A lot of feeling of not good. And was I not good enough? Or, you know, this is, I don't want to speak for her, but at the end of the day, she had her own set of feelings that she experienced. So you're you're navigating these individual feelings that you're going through that rock you, right? And you're still trying to figure out, all right, how do we parent now? How do we divide households? How do we create two new households? Money, uh, you know, furniture, uh, car, you, you name it. Everything needs to be decided what happens. But through it all, what we did is we always kept the two kids as our commonality and our, our common point. And we always wanted to keep them above the fray of, of what was happening. So, and I'll tell you, if it's okay, I'll tell you a quick story about the day we told them that we were getting divorced. <laughs> and we didn't use the word divorce, by the way, they were uh, six and four. And, um, you yeah, know, we had been through a very long process of therapy and trying and, you know, and we were finally at the point where it was happening, it was moving forward. And I remember we were in a car in August, we were driving to get school supplies and we're like, all right, we're going to tell them in the car. Now we had been sleeping in separate bedrooms at this point. So we had a mom's room and a dad's room and we're both in the front seat, like sort of crying quietly. You know, they couldn't tell we were crying at sunglasses on and we were saying, so guys, you know, we have something to tell you, um, you know, next month, 
you know how we have a mom's room and a dad's room? Well, we're going to have a mom's house and a dad's house. And they're like, cool, that's awesome. <laughs> and we're in the front seat, like, look at each other. Like, <laughs> wait, shouldn't they be like really upset? And and for some reason, like, it, there was this moment of humor. Um, it didn't really absolve all the sadness and the, you know, the feelings we we're going through. But it was a really uh, funny moment to recall because of the fact that we actually had created a world where they did, they were comfortable, they were happy. And for them, it was, if we were fine with it, they were fine with it. Do you know what I mean? So we needed to like lead the way. And uh, it was, it was, a, it was a funny moment to, to say the least. Now, one of the common refrains I've always heard around divorce is, well, let's stay together for the kids. Mm. And, and you were saying really, well, let's make a good divorce for the kids. So can, can is it, is staying together for the kids? Is that a realistic, <sighs> is that actually, is that a reality for anyone? Um, well, it's a reality in the sense that people do it. But when you say you're staying together for the kids, you really have to question what we're always teaching children lessons. And whether we're speaking it or acting it, we're teaching, they were watching everything we do, everything we do. And I another story to give you, um, and it was one of the uh, formative moments of why, or it pushed me because I was saying the same thing. I was like, you know what? We'll stay together for the kids. Like when they go to college, we'll figure it out. You know, yada, yada. It's not that long a time. And I remember one morning, you know, we're eating breakfast and kids were in the, you know, at the kitchen bar, you know, and we hugged each other and they were like, ew, what are you guys doing? And in my head, I was like, oh my God, I'm teaching my children that intimacy is actually not, you know, it doesn't exist. Mm. They didn't even know what it was like to see us like hug in that moment. Do you know what I mean? And I remember that moment probably the rest of my life because it was one of those really formative moments where I was like, wow, I'm actually I'm actually messing them up more by by staying in this because they see me distant, they see her distant or you know, they see us arguing, fighting, like oh, so that's what a relationship is. A relationship is where you yell at each other. You know, that's not a relationship. That's not healthy. That's not the way you deal with problems and you get so wrapped up in your in your mind and everything along those lines and you tell yourself you're staying together for the kids but the reality is children know yeah and the other reality is the older they get the the more baggage they're dealing with that then they could latch on that they were the reason they were the you know when they're younger when you're at the point where you know this is the direction you're going to take and then you say well 10 more years from now it'll be fine you are creating really, really negative pathways of learning for your children in those 10 years where you could have an optional, there's another option out there to create a happy divorce with pathways that allow kids to thrive. Um, you know, we do all our holidays together. We do all our birthdays together. We do uh, graduations together. And, you know, I wanted my children to grow up in a world where they didn't need to fear their mom and dad being in the same room together or the same event together or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's funny my experience, it was what I consider traditional divorce of, <laughs> of bitterness and hatred. And my parents yeah. did not get together. And at any sort of school assembly, dad's on one side, mom's on the other side, or mom's in the front yeah. row and dad's in the back of the room. And, yeah. and, and even talking about intimacy. I, so my parents divorced when I was about five years old. So I really have no memories of them, them being together. 
But yeah. I do remember being a kid and seeing my grandparents hug and kiss and, you know, fooling around with each other in the kitchen. I was like aghast. Like, what are these <laughs> old people doing? Like, when, does, when does this start in life? And this is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Uh, it's you, so funny. You you mentioned uh, as the lever, as the initiator of divorce, you, you mm-hmm. felt, you know, shame and fear and concerned about being hated by your kids. Yeah. How did you get through that? Like, what helped relieve the shame? Yeah, the um, well, I therapy is the one. I mean, if you are going through divorce and you don't have a therapist, you are probably you're not doing the right thing for yourself. You know, if you have the means to hire a therapist or even whatever, there's a lot of insurance that covers therapy now. And if you are going through divorce on either side and you don't have someone helping you manage some of your thoughts and feelings, so I'll, so therapy was the first thing. We also hired a co-parenting therapist as well, which was extremely helpful because of the fact, once again, we didn't know how, how do we do this? What are the boundaries we create? How do we communicate? What's, what's good? What's bad? So having a third party there to really help us work through some of these challenges, especially in the beginning days when it was very raw and very tenuous and very, you know, there's still a lot of emotion. Um, the other thing um, that got me through it was really... Uh, becoming and another another com, you know smashing the two words together something I call healthy selfish, where I got really really selfish around my my personal health, meaning you know I, I was definitely going when I was going through the initial process I was in a bad bad place, and um, you know one of my dear friends Jake Dreyfus would he started calling me and texting me at five in the morning, and I started getting up at five in the morning going to the gym working out, eating right, like doing all these healthy things. And we ultimately formed a group called the five Amers, and, and a bunch of us would, would get up early in the morning and get on a zoom call sometimes. And anyways, it was a really, really beautiful group. And that's really what helped me is by realizing that happiness isn't, I can't get happiness from my ex-wife or my wife at the time. I can't get happiness for my children. I can't get happiness for my parents or coworkers happiness only comes from one place and that's me. And, and it was a really, I was, I grew up, you know, I people pleaser, as long as everyone else was happy, I was happy. And it took a very long time to resolve that, that mentality that at the end of the day, my job is actually to make myself happy in a, in a healthy way. Right. That's why I say healthy, selfish, not, I'm, we're not talking about doing bad things to people to be, to be, you be selfish. We're talking about doing the things that, Hey, and if I'm up at 5am and my kids are still sleeping and I work out, that's healthy. Right. Yes. It's selfish as well. So it's one of those things that you, I developed a routine and a structure where my health became one of my number one priorities because everything began a, for me with my physical health and then B with my mental health or vice versa. You could probably flip those back and forth or whichever it might be. And, and then now that I've developed this concept, I call being the light instead of giving the light. So my job is to be the light to myself and that light will shine really bright and people will be, you know, lit up from that versus me trying to give the light and then depleting myself so much that all I'm doing is giving, giving, giving. And then all of a sudden I turn around and I'm, I'm spent and there's going to be a point where I can't give anymore. Right. So it's, it was a long, long process, but therapy being healthy, selfish around your health and around the things that are going to make you healthy, both mentally and physically. Um, and then really just making sure I was working on myself to be a better man, better person. 
Yeah, I often say that selfishness gets a really bad rap. It does. The selfishness yeah. in the terms of competitiveness and, and taking things. Well, that no, that's not good. But no. when you put yourself first, for I find that's what you teach your children that each of us right. matters, not that yeah, everybody right. else matters more than us. And yeah, that's and right. again, when you're a healthy, well-rounded man and you put yourself first, your naturally joyous life, you're naturally more full of light, you're of more service, and all of that positive energy spreads. So yeah. you know, help I, I love the term. And when you're healthily selfish. It, it, you're you're positively impacting everybody around you. Exactly, exactly. And here's the other thing as well is that I also didn't focus on trying to get better in leaps and bounds. I tried to get better, and, and it's a very common term of like one percent, right? So I wouldn't measure like, oh my god, like we don't have this beautiful co-parenting situation two months after getting divorced. What I would measure is like, you know what? We passed off the kids in a without an argument. We got a little bit better today. You know, we had a challenging discussion without yelling. We got a little bit better today. We, you know, we we successfully negotiated like a little bit of a change in the schedule without it being a big deal. We got a little bit better. And I think that's the other thing is like we, especially in today's society, we're being bombarded with social media and images of perfection and all this stuff that we we create this like big gap in where we should, we think we should be. Versus taking a look behind us, being like, "Wow, we've come a long way." Do you know what I mean? And that—that that was the other o thing. Only, that... com only comparing ourselves to our past selves is the kind of the, the best comparison you can make. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so with things like positive co-parenting and and conscious uncoupling, does does yep. that mean the bitter divorces are just a thing of the past, or do you still see them happen? Uh, I, you know, unfortunately, yeah, well, unfortunately, I think they're going to be with us forever in many ways you know i i wish i could say we could wave a magic wand and any person that decided to get divorced would have the same positive messaging that we give marriage we give a similar positive messaging to divorce in the sense of not to say we're advocating for it but to say the sense that when you make that decision we're going to approach it in this healthy way right instead you know and unfortunately we have divorce lawyers and I'm not, there are some great lawyers out there. This is not a criticism of, of the profession of the trade, but unfortunately a lawyer's job is usually to win for their client. Um, and if you're working with a divorce lawyer who doesn't put your children first, I would recommend not working with that person. Um, and then number two, I, what I, we tried to create or, you know, was the win-win meaning, okay, like I'm going to give up maybe some financially here but you're going to, I'm going to also gain here or whatever it might be. And I think that's the other key thing is recognizing that there are no winners or losers in divorce. There's only human beings in divorce. Okay. And, and I think we got to reframe the mindset of like, Oh, I'm going to make that person pay. Right. If you're the one that was hurt, I'm going to make him pay or her pay. If you were the one that was leaving, like, Oh, I'm going to try to protect and hide and you know do as much as i can to know hey you guys both both people created where you were today and what are you going to do to move forward and in, in a healthy way the other thing as well is my like i said in the beginning my kids were my number one priority a healthy uh ex-wife you know if she was healthy and happy that's the best thing for my children hmm. so if i'm you know, screwing over from, with money or doing anything like that. What, what does that say about me as a father and a man? Right. right. So my goal was to say, if, if you are good, 
there's nothing better for my children than to have their mother in a beautiful space, you know, and, and that was the other decision I think you need to make. If you keep your, if your children are your number one priority, your partner needs to be taken care of in some way. Right. You know, and, and it might not, you know, money, maybe it's not financially, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's with a schedule change, maybe it's whatever it might be. But the, if both people adopt the mindset that, Hey, a healthy father or a healthy mother is the best thing for my kids. From, from the moment you said I'm leaving to the time that you could say, wow, we are happily divorced. What, like how long, what was mm. that process? How about how long was that? It was a long time. I would say, um, we, it was November of 2016. It was the first time we were in a massive argument week before Thanksgiving. And it was the first, I'd been in therapy up until that point. And it was the first time that I was finally had the courage to say, listen, I'm done. At that point, we gave it one more shot with another, you know, we got after a long discussion, we're like, all right, let's give it one more shot. And we did hire another therapist, you know, and we gave it a little more time and it just, it, it, I was, I was done at that point. Do you know what I mean? Um, I couldn't like deny it anymore or fake it or, or you know, hope to be, you know, hope to change. It just wasn't going to change. Um, and probably I would say it was, you know, we, we always, even when we separated, we did the holidays together. And they, in the beginning, it was a little tenuous, you know, going to her family's place or my, you know, everyone was walking on eggshells a little bit. And here was the turning point. The turning point was when I started to own the divorce versus blame for the divorce, you know, and in many ways, like, and, you know, I could sit here on this call and say, oh, well, she did. And this is what I would do. Oh, we got divorced, but this is, you know, this is what happened and this is what happened. And I was, I was pushing the blame on her, you know, and I, it's a concept I read in a book. I can't remember which book, but it's a hundred to zero. It was the concept. I wish I could remember the book to give whoever wrote it the credit. But when I took a hundred percent responsibility for my actions and there's zero responsibility for on her side, right. Was the moment that I started to be able to like overcome it and and actually own my role and say, you know what? Like, yeah, there are things that happen, but you know what? I was the one that did, you know, sort of withdrew into work. I was the one that didn't want to come home. I was the one that, you know, slept in separate bedrooms out, you know, and I owned my role. And then that was the moment I think that we started to like start to ebb forward into that zone of happiness, I would say. Um, you know, in the beginning, it's not happiness. You feel it's relief a little bit, right? That there's progress. And slowly that relief will turn into happiness or hopefully will turn into happiness. That's the goal. So you, it, it sounds like you, you know, there, there were problems. You both worked on trying to save the marriage, keep it going. Yep. What made you know this is the end? Ah, uh, you know, it's a good question. There, there was no one definitive moment because of the fact there were definitely certain challenges and issues, you know, um, out of privacy for my ex-wife, like, well, I don't want to go into it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'll just say there were, there were challenges that we both experienced. We'll say that, right? Um, and at the end of the day, we worked through a lot of those challenges, you know? Um, and uh, so there wasn't like this one definitive moment for me where I was like, oh, like I'm done. Cause you'd have a challenge, you work through it. You're like, okay, maybe. And then you have a challenge and you're like, oh, I'm out. And then you're like, okay, we'll work through it. Maybe 
you know, so it was probably, it was the death of a thousand wounds more so, right. Where it was just like cut, you had just enough cuts where you finally were like, okay, it's over. Um, and there were little moments, of course, like, like my kids, you know, seeing us be intimate and, uh, other things, but it was really just the, the slow buildup of little things over time to where I finally got to the point. And the biggest thing was having a therapist as well, help me with my feelings of working through that, you know, of, of guilt and, and like, how do I, I want, I don't want to be in this situation anymore, but I don't know how to do it. Um, and finally getting to the point where I was built up enough to have the courage to, to leave. Do you know what I mean? So may seem obvious, but I want to, I want to ask this for the, for the benefit of someone that's divorced is in a situation and just thinks this is how it always is. So what are some signs that you're not in a great co-parenting divorce? Mm. Signs you're not in a good co-parenting is when your a your children aren't comfortable with you being in the same uh, space, okay. right? That's a, if you know your kids get nervous or anxious or when you two are in the same space, that's a number one sign. Um, the second sign is when you're not flexible. Now you there's a difference between having clear boundaries and then being flexible right so for example i travel for work i train around the country so there are times where i'll I'll call my ex-wife and be like hey can you you know i was scheduled to watch them on a tuesday can you switch a tuesday for a thursday now her boundary is to say no i can't do that and i'm okay with that if she says i can't do that you know because we've already have an agreement laid out but if she's just sitting home doing nothing and she has the ability to make the switch and it doesn't impact her in any way. That's a sign that when you are doing things just out of spite, that's not a healthy co-parenting situation. Now you can very, you can maintain your boundaries with zero guilt or zero. It's my responsibility to get coverage on my nights. Do you know what I mean? But I always want to use her as my first resource because I'd rather my kids are with her than a babysitter. Do you know what I mean? Um, but she has the absolute right to say no. But if she's only saying no out of anger or spite, that's a sign that you're... So if you're doing things out of anger and spite, you're probably not in a healthy co-parenting situation. Um, and I, you know, the, the probably the third thing I would say is when you argue over inconsequential or meaningless things. You left... You, you didn't drop the kid's soccer gear off. You're horrible. <laughs> You're right. No, it's, it, people forget. Yeah, I didn't drop the kids' soccer thing. Yeah, it's frustrating. I'm frustrated. All right, go. You know, here are the keys to the house. Go. Or I'll, I'm going to run home from work or whatever. Right. But when little things become, you know, big things and are, are really inconsequential, that's probably your third sign that you need to do some work within your co-parenting because your children see all of this. Right. They see it all. You know. So. It's, it's a situation where um, you, there's so many resources, not so many, there are resources out there. Uh, and I would highly recommend it, that if you've never seen a co-parenting therapist, find a co-parenting therapist, have a third party. The reality is we're still dealing with our scars from the marriage, mm. right? We're still bringing those forward. So it really is helpful when a third party can say, listen, here's what I would advise you do. Here's your schedule. Here's how you create boundaries, right? On whatever the advice is that you get, doesn't mean you need to listen to it exactly, right? But it just means there's someone not that isn't carrying the scars that you guys both carry 
forward that can give you that advice. Mm-hmm. And that that's so it's a great question of the signs of when you're not in a healthy co-parenting yeah. situation. What are those signs? And once again, just, you know, me and my ex, we still have little things that come up. She'll get frustrated if I had to change a night, you know, we're still human beings yeah. and we still have emotion. Right. And, but we can recover from that very quickly or recognize when we're doing it and be like, Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> like <laughs> that, that's really not a big deal. Let me, let me just drop the soccer stuff off. Right. You know, so, so what I've heard so far for for some tips to create this positive co-parenting relationship, um, start off by getting the commonalities, agreement on yep. that, and you definitely recommend therapy. And ideally, it's 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 a co-parenting expert. Correct. Right? Yeah. And and any other any other tips to to make that process as smooth as it can be? Yeah, I I read the book Conscious Uncoupling, and that for me was very impactful. I would highly recommend people read that book if it's something that that would you know resonate with you. Um, and I, I think the the other thing is like figure out what makes you happy, and make sure you're doing things that make you happy within the context of of not harming anyone. You know what I mean? So that, if going to uh, you know uh, on a vacation to Florida makes you happy and you're there for a month, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> not escapism, but... <laughs> exactly, thank you. <laughs> that's perfect terminology. Um, but doing the things like making sure, you know, my body's healthy. I'm, you know, hanging out with my friends. I have relationships with my family. I, you know, the things that really fuel your 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 life and your happiness, definitely it's really critical when you go through this process not to hide or not to, not to withdraw, but to really embrace those things that do create the happiness. And when you're in there, never try your hardest to not talk ill will of your partner, Do you know, and, and reframe, you know, it's one of those funny things, like language is so powerful. Like I even hate, I try not to even use the word ex-wife. Do you know what I mean? Because it only that X, right. There's almost like a negativity to that. Yeah. So in, often like I'll call her my partner, you know, um, and, and that's really the more appropriate terminology. She's my partner in, in my kids, right. you know, and that's it. All right. So if I asked your partner, if you were a great ex-husband, what would she say? <laughs> um, 95% of the time, I think she would say, oh, he's the best. I think the 5%, you know, my schedule is a little hectic. You know, um, I can definitely, I, I'm a person that can do, I can do a lot. Like I, I'm also not a planner. So I can like be like, oh yeah, I'm going to the beach with the kids this weekend. She's like, oh, what? Wait. Uh, you know, not that it impacts her, but she's, once again, these were our differences. So those are the little things that she would probably say I could get better on is a little more organization, a little more planning and a little more structure. <laughs> but 95, I would, my argument would be that she would call me a great ex-husband in the sense of, you know, 95% of what she would want me to be. I am. Yeah. It's that 5%. That's, 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 that's a strong me. A. That, that's yeah, I think I'm in the class as ex, yeah, yeah. an ex-husband. Yeah. Yeah. Class. Let's not call her on the phone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. And, hey, what, what's wonder, the grade? <laughs> I always wonder every time I have to talk to someone that's that's been divorced, especially recently divorced, does this turn you off against ever being married again? Um, It's a good question. On a personal level, and this is just for me personally, like I don't have any desire to get married again in the sense of, you know, um, I, you know, being in a relationship does not mean marriage. And I think there are certain um, 
you know, this, there's certain societal things that feel heavy with marriage to me. And probably this is my scars bringing forward. So I think there's a difference between being in a relationship and being married. So for me personally, at this stage of my life, I have no desire to be married again. You know, yes, desire to be in a relationship again, for sure, but not to be married again. Um, you know, in my mind, you know, I don't need um, a, a, a ring or a piece of paper to determine what my feelings or actions are going to be, if that makes sense. So, And we, we've touched on sheer, sheer, making up words, shame <laughs> and fear. I've combined them into sheer. There <laughs> <laughs> sheer. Besides that, uh, what, what do you see, in, and based on your experience and what you see in others, what are the biggest challenges? What are some of the biggest challenges for divorced men? Um, biggest challenge for divorced men is the you typically um, there's a world where there's not a lot of uh, support for there's not a lot of support period, but for men, especially there's usually very little support. There's usually very, you know, few groups. Um, it depends on your, your, you know, social group. Sometimes there might not be other men that are divorced that, you know, uh, or if you do, they might not be the best person to talk to right about it maybe they're not healthily divorced or happily divorced um so i think the challenge for most men is that you you sort of suffer in silence um i was very lucky in the sense that i had some really really dear friends that were were also divorced in a healthy you know healthy way but also gave me really good advice along the way and were there when i needed them to hey i just need to grab a beer with you and talk about what i'm feeling right so being able to find a couple of people that are very healthy for you and, and your outlets is key. Um, and, and it allows you to, to form that healthy thing. But the cha biggest challenge is uh, most men suffer in silence. In your teaching and your coaching world, uh, you talk a lot about leading with kindness. Yeah. I'm going to give you a chance. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So one of my mottos I have is that, you know, my, my mission in life is to show that love and kindness is a source of power and strength. Meaning in our in our world, traditionally, like we see if you use the word power and strength, you typically would view big, muscular, male, you know, Navy SEAL, wrestler, you know, something really big and dominant. But the reality is who who has actually moved the world? It's the people that have used love and kindness to create massive levels of power and strength. Gandhi, the, you know, Mohandas Gandhi, he defeated the British Empire. <laughs> right. And when you think about it. And how did he do it? He did it through love and kindness, you know, and uh, Martin Luther King changed, you know, civil rights in this country. Uh, you know, so you, you look back in history and and the people that use power and strength in, in the brute sense always, always have fallen out of power, have always, you know, been defeated, have always been sort of put down or put out. And it's the people that have used love and kindness have created lasting change and that's i think one of the things that i come back to that in in all of our settings marriage um career business you know the world politics if we can get to this point where we recognize that loving kindness like when i'm loving and kinding towards other people that actually is a source of strength and creates power versus when i'm trying to bulldog someone or you know push them under or defeat them or whatever it might be using brute power and strength that might work short term, but eventually it's going to either come back on me or it's going to just consume me. One of the two. 
So when you use love and kindness, you can run for infinite, you know, for infinity into the, the change that you can create and the power and strength you can generate because of the fact that love and kindness, if it goes back into that be the light concept, yeah. love and kindness is when you can be the light, right? And, and emanate that. And that light, instead of just shining in one direction, goes everywhere. So it's sort of a philosophy I like to live by and a philosophy that I like to sort of push out there uh, for business leaders and politicians or anyone that listens to me. It's something that I, I sort of preach. So, And again, that that healthy selfishness helps you tap into that limitless light that we do have the ability to tap into. So, right. Cool. And, and I want to give you a chance. Tell me about your podcast. Tell me about the 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I work, um, my, my role, my career right now, I'm the head of agent development for a real estate company called Compass, which is the number one uh, national brokerage. Um, we, we have about 30,000 people all across the country. Um, my job is basically my day job, we'll call it is to, uh, design training curriculum and deliver that to real estate agents across the country, virtually and in person. Um, in the pandemic, when the pandemic hit in, uh, April or May, I'm sorry, March of 2020, uh, you know, we're all knocked down at home and I was just like frustrated by it and eating unhealthy, drinking, binge watching TV, et cetera. Uh, so I got a little frustrated and I basically just resurrected, you know, some of the practices we used in the five Amers and I launched the six Amers just in my local office. You know, we had about 50 agents sign up. We're all home. We had no reason to wake up at 6 a.m., but we were all started just waking up early and then getting on a Zoom call and chatting and talking, right? And creating a community. And then every month since then, the organization just, the community, I should say, just started to spread all across, uh, you know, the country. Um, so I would be doing these Zoom calls and it's one of those funny things. I look back and I'm like, wait a minute, after a couple of years, I'm like, I have, I have hours and hours of, of beautiful interviews with some powerful people. I want to make sure that this gets out there into the world. So we basically went, uh, my co-host, Emily Bosser and I, uh, we went and we recorded the intros and exits for, for 24 of the episodes. We're going to be going out uh, in about a month or so to California to record season two. And what we do is basically just take our morning interviews, not all of them, we curate the, the ones that we feel are the most powerful. And then we record the uh, ex intros and exits, and then we're releasing those in the podcast. And it's been an awesome situation to be able to bring authors and business people and, you know, leaders in all kinds of areas to, you know, we, the group obviously meets at 6am and not everyone is a 6am person. So it's nice to be able to bring it to, to people outside of the group as well. So it's called the six, the number six AM ERS. It's on my shirt. Excellent. Excellent. So, so Sky, what's the best way for people to learn more or connect with you? Yeah, so um, Instagram is right now my platform of, of choice. So um, to follow me on Instagram, it would be the at symbol. My first name, S-K-Y-E. My last name, M-I-C-H-I-E-L-S. Just at Sky Michaels. Um, the six Amers, you, I would love for you to also follow that. Uh, and that is at T-H-E, the number six, A-M-E-R-S uh, on Instagram. And those are the two... Uh, best channels that I, I communicate with and, um, you know, sort of operate on. Cool. Awesome. I really enjoyed talking with you and sharing your experience. The, this is kind of my favorite show was when, you know, a man shares his experience and how he's yeah. shining the light and serving the world now. So <laughs> that's so great. You, man. 
Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing as well. It's great to bring, you know, um, the ability to talk about this stuff and, you know, not suffer in silence. Anyone that's listening to this, it's huge. Don't be silent, you know. Thanks everyone listening. Thanks for tuning us in. Wherever you're listening to Real Men Feel, please give a, a like, a share, a comment, whatever you can do, wherever you're finding us. And did you know that there is a private Real Men Feel Facebook group? Well, it's true. And you can join by visiting realmenfeel.org slash group. You can also reach out and connect with me via email anytime you choose, realmenfeel at gmail.com. And until next time, be good to yourself.